This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by eight amazing people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Michael Fritschke, Dr. O in Teberg, and Doug Malam. Thank you all so very much for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight, by multiple people's requests, I finally have back Mr. Red Pill Junkie. Yay! <laughs> um, so yes, many, many people were upset that you haven't been on the show in a while. So now you're back. <laughs> All my bot accounts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about a few, we're going to talk about a documentary and at least one movie, uh, which the documentary being The Unbinding, which was done by Greg and Dana Newkirk. And the movie being what? No one will save you. And uh, I just watched that, I think, last week or the week before. and was very mm -hmm. impressed with it. But mm -hmm. you've, you've written an entire article on the Grail, Daily Grail about it that's really fascinating uh, on the symbolism and stuff in that. So, fair Thank warning, you. if you have not watched either of these, this, this might have some spoilers. It may not matter that it has spoilers. Um, but if you haven't watched them and you, you want to go watch them first, we'll go do that. Uh, we're going to talk about the unbinding first since it's, uh, a documentary and then we'll get into, uh, no one will save you, which is more words than are spoken in the actual film. <laughs> yeah. And that's the truth. <laughs> I, that's one of the things I was so impressed with is the fact that they were able to tell this very detailed story with no dialogue, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but yeah. yes, really impressed with the level of quality uh, from that uh, movie. So The Unbinding, um, for anyone who doesn't know, was done by, again, Dana and Greg Newkirk, who did Hellier. And I wasn't really a fan of Hellier. I was very much a fan of the way of the look of Hellier, like the, the actual production values. But the, the stuff they uncovered in Hellier didn't particularly blow me away. I don't even think I finished the second season. Uh, that being hmm. said, we did the show with uh, Tyler Strand a couple of weeks ago, or beginning of October, I guess, at this point. Um, and he was a very cool guy to talk to. We didn't get into any of the, the Hellier stuff, really. I think I asked him one question in the Patreon segment, and that was about it. Um, but the unbinding, I actually, I found to be more interesting than the hell stuff. Interesting. And, and I also found it to, that I was being a little hypocritical at one point, which, uh, we'll get to. Um, so one of the things they do on here, uh, so this is about a haunted object. Yes. And again, it sort of has a, a muddy sort of source to it, like where it came from and, and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, which always raises a red flag to me, but I, I, I suspect that at least they're telling the truth as they know it. Um, yes. So the, the, this object they took, they took control of, and they said that whenever they took it out, weird stuff would happen. And they think it was connected to uh, a spirit of some sorts. So we'll get, we'll get into more of that. But, um, I mean, do you, do you want to add anything to that description? Right. Yeah. 
You're totally right, because uh, I think the value, uh, first of all, yeah, uh, this documentary uh, speaks highly about the quality of the team that yes. produced it. And, and obviously, there's not only uh, Dana and Greg involved, but also their associates, you know, Tyler being one of them. Uh, the other one, uh, the name escapes me uh, at the moment, but... Uh, the one, the guy who actually directed it. Yeah, I'll look uh, But uh, yeah, it, it has the same. I felt it had the same flavor as uh, Hellier, the same format of like uh, Greg and Dana, like being interviewed by someone and describing like the events that led them to whatever transpired. Yeah. Uh, during their investigation of this alleged haunted object and how they came into its possession and all of that. And the other thing that I found interesting, which is has obviously a similarity with Heller, is that the circumstances uh, were very similar in the sense that, I guess, because we're living in the 21st century, this is how uh, paranormal events transpire nowadays like yeah someone gets a hold of of greg and dana through some some you know reddit thread and that's how the ball gets rolling you know like obviously like 50 or 40 years ago without the internet that would have never happened you know probably they would have received if they had been around back in those days they would have received some kind of like a written letter in the post office and the whole thing would have taken much, much longer uh, to develop. But now, with the advent of uh, social media and instant electronic communication, you know, this thing is how uh, it moves. You know, and, and, and I guess this is part of uh, the paranormal scene in the 21st century. You know, like social media has to be involved in, 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 in these uh, events for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it did take a while to unfold. Didn't they? Re- didn't this whole story start in like 2014 or 2015 or something? I think 2016, I think, is when okay. uh, they found that uh, in Paranormal subreddit about someone who had left uh, a message, you know, saying like, hey, you know, I have this problem with this cursed object i don't know and i don't know how to get rid of it and that's how the whole story of how they managed to find this effigy that is uh it is a, a wooden curved uh little statuette uh that had some kind of like rope around its neck and 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 some other things and also uh, nails uh, metal nails driven yeah. into, into it you know which is obviously that clear impression of uh some time of uh magical proceeding yeah you know uh and it was possibly uh, a curse the director was and, carl and, pfeiffer and this is obviously the director sorry? was carl, i'm sorry the director was carl pfeiffer carl pfeiffer right 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 yeah sorry carl you know you're 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 really really good at your craft man yes he is definitely kudos to you uh uh and one of the things that I thought when I was watching this movie is like, obviously, it really speaks about uh, Greg and Dana and and what they're trying to do with their with their lives. Obviously, the 
they are they are devoted to this uh, collection of so-called haunted objects that they are uh, amassing, and some some of them they go and display them at uh, conventions, yeah. and they also have this like uh, I don't know mobile situation, you know. So they 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 have these. Uh, uh, a, it's like a traveling museum. It's a traveling museum, exactly. Uh, and that is obviously not a thing that I would do. Right. <laughs> and, and probably that speaks about whenever I saw things in the documentary, I got, I, I, regularly, I kept thinking to myself, what are you guys doing? Like, why are you, <laughs> someone contacts you on the internet and say, Hey, I have this cursed object. Do you want to have it? And they say, Sure. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would, I would say sure. I mean, I'll be honest there. I mean, that's like the crystal Jeff Ritzman had that, you know, he was like, well, if you want to come down and put this crystal to your head, I'm like, yes, yes, I do. I want to see if anything happens. Yeah. But the risks, I don't know. I mean, I personally think I wouldn't, even if you are skeptical about the whole situation, it's like people who say, hey, I don't believe in the Ouija board, but I don't play with it nonetheless, just because I don't want, I want to be on the safe side. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would want to see if something happens, because if it does, that's interesting to me. Okay, but that is a, a personal decision that yes. you oh, take, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't make a museum be, out of it. Because one of the things that I, right, because one of the things that I also, like, I was questioning, the, 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 decisions taken by Greg and Dana was taking this thing into their tour, you know, and potentially exposing, you know, people who don't know about it uh, to it, you know, and I think that is one of the things that they, they they show in the documentary, how they took it to, I think it was the Michigan, Michigan Paracon. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So so when they, when, when they did that, Someone wanted to see it. They took it out and they said all hell broke loose there. You know, like all this mm-hmm. stuff happened and then they immediately put it away and everything stopped. And I'm thinking to myself, why is none of this on video? Are you telling me no one was running a video camera at that point? I mean, it's possible or maybe they couldn't find anyone who was, but it's it seems, seems like, you know, everything's on video nowadays. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm giving the Newkirks the, the benefit of the doubt. Like uh, well, we, as, we as established, I. I, I, I really don't think they are uh, concocting this. Or maybe uh, because of their involvement, maybe they are aggrandizing some things. Or maybe they are like uh, connecting dots when they shouldn't. Yeah, I it's mean. It's the same thing when they... they when they are assuming that this effigy has something to do with uh, uh, with Slavic neo paganist uh, beliefs, you right. know something that I, I think that even they took the the, the I, I don't I think I don't think they took the effigy per se, but I think they showed the picture of it to uh, some kind of expert, yeah, some in scholar, Ukrainian neo pagan, exactly a scholar, and they said plainly that. She didn't see any connection. Like she didn't uh, see any resemblance with what they, they, uh, Greg and Dana and, and and their friends thought was an effigy uh, symbolizing. I think it was Mokosh, some kind so. of like this the neo paganist uh, or or this Ukrainian uh, deity. Yeah, and and it's credit to them for leaving that in too. Mm-hmm. You know, having the scholars say, "Nope, it's uh, I don't, I don't know." 
exactly. But uh, other than that, obviously, I mean, I would like to ask you, what do you think about? Uh, I think they show this type of camera footage oh, taking the 3D. In, in, yeah. Also that, and also uh, when they they have uh, the effigy in their home, and they have some kind of like uh, security camera footage, and they and they, I think they show this kind of like orb moving around yeah and didn't the didn't the effigy itself move too slightly moved yeah they barely perceptible but uh, yeah apparently it moved location which you know really interesting it is and when i looked at that i tried to look at it as close as i could it 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 was different frames mm-hmm. and if the it, it moved so little that i almost wonder if a change of a slight change in focus could have given the illusion of movement like i don't know because i don't have that camera to, to, to experiment with but that would have been the that's the first thing that came to mind to me is that like it barely looks like it moved and if the camera like refocused between shots it might have given the impression mm-hmm. of movement um but it was still you know if it if i had that footage i'd also be like oh this is really interesting but i'd also experiment with it to see if i could get it to do it again you know with sure. with something not moving you know like can i can i give the illusion of movement and they may mm-hmm. have done that i have no idea they didn't really specify well there there was also the other things that happened apparently this uh, broken crucifix they found yeah. uh which uh to me was interesting the interpretation they had like uh because for example, I, I was raised a Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. And coming from this Catholic, uh, especially Latin American background, I see that and I will immediately, you know, if I still were a Catholic, say, oh, <laughs> we need a priest to bless this place, you know, to, to bring a, a, a whole canteen of holy water and, and to, you know, sprinkle the whole place to, to try to cleanse it. Mm. And the really interesting thing about it is that uh, to the new Kirks was, no, this is some kind of like discarnate entity that is very uncomfortable around Christian iconography right. because of something that happened to it. So it's not because it is demonic. It is because he has a grind to ask with Christianity, which is an interesting, you know, way to look at it. I, like I said, I'm not sure if I were in their shoes, I would have arrived to that conclusion. Yeah, I do. <laughs> But it's but it speaks about the way that uh, you know magical religious practices change and morph over time, especially in the 21st century now, where obviously Christianity doesn't have the influence or the monopoly of belief that it once had, you know, like just a few decades ago. Yeah, and you know, I mean. I don't know. I think sometimes this stuff takes on its appearance based on the assumptions you make of previous stuff. For sure. For sure. Like I said, you know, I think that you see the logic they use in order to try to connect the dots and say, okay, this is the effigy and this is that and this is that. Um, we, we, we reached a conclusion, oh, it has something to do with neo-paganism, and it seems to have something to do with, you know, some kind of like crone that is like trapped in it, and we need to do something to like to release it in order to free this poor spirit. Uh, and uh, I do not question the motives, of course. Another question, that the, 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 the honestly, I truly think this, they, they, they have this honest way of reaching this conclusion, Yes. Which I'm not, I don't necessarily share. Like, you know, I, the first time that I saw the, 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 the images of these effigy, what they call the crone, to be honest, Soraya, I first 
thought that it had something to do with uh, Santeria, you know, like oh, some yeah. kind of like uh, African American, you know, or or Antillian, you know, like uh, Cuban type of uh, mysticism. Um, I could totally but, see that. Uh, that is not the conclusion. That is not the conclusion they reached. You know, they 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 found this. Uh, I think this Etsy store online of someone selling the similar type of uh, of wooden effigies, and they reached the conclusion that it it, it was uh, more aligned with Ukrainian neo paganism, and also the fact that near the place where the effigy was allegedly found in the in the Catskills in New York, there is this uh, Ukrainian community. Right. Which, by the way, also raised some kind of controversy surrounding yes. the documentary, which I don't know if you want to talk about I do. now. I do, because okay. this, this to me, you know, they had a shot that was just a passing shot of one of the churches there. And apparently the church had ties to neo-Nazi yes. stuff. A lot of the Ukraine has ties to neo-Nazis. I don't know if people are actually aware of that. Um, and that's not to say everyone in the Ukraine, but it, it does have a strong neo-Nazi influence, especially in the military. And so they showed this passing shot of a church and immediately got branded, you know, white supremacists and neo-Nazis and all this other stuff. And they said, we had no idea that's what that was. And they took it out of the documentary. I think people are just looking for reasons to attack them on this stuff. You know, I mean, especially after they talked about the, the pan book in, the, in Hellier. Which again, I don't think yes. they had, they even knew had any neo-Nazi connections. That book was not well known. The author, you know, this information really wasn't out there until after they put that out. And then people are like, hey, this is, uh, you know, this, this guy was a Nazi and all this other stuff, neo-Nazi and, and all this other stuff. And that makes hell your neo-Nazi. It's like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. And it's frustrating because, I mean, there are plenty so of people out there that really are neo-Nazis and, and Greg and Dana do not seem to be those people oh no i mean i i i don't know them personally although obviously i have interacted with them especially with greg online and i follow both of both of them on twitter as do i X, and i i will be the first to say that uh you know they have no interest in trying to promote you know neo-nazi far right yeah uh, ideology far from it you know they they are always uh trying to help a lg the lgbt community the the, the uh, try to defend trans rights and the like you know uh and in fact i feel that is some of the things that uh, are shown in the documentary how they are siding with what 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 they feel is some kind of like uh reflection of a marginalized group in this case you know a crone yeah, someone yeah. who was hurt uh, or attacked or persecuted by what will be the mainstream would be christianity yeah. and they are finding themselves in this documentary trying to uh help in some way the entity they they considered to be that it was trapped inside this allegedly haunted object yeah but uh, also, I lost my train of thought because I wanted to say something else with what you were saying about... Uh, well, I, I also want to add in, um, Dana, first of all, one points with me because she had a Zeal and Ardor hoodie on, but mm -hmm. you're not listening to Zeal and Ardor 
I mean, they're they're as far away from neo Nazi as you're gonna get. You know, right. they're they're in the exact opposite camp. And when I saw when when we were hanging out with Tyler, I I mentioned the zeal and ardor thing to him. I said, yeah, it was cool that she had that on. He's like, oh, she took me to one of their shows. It was amazing. Those guys are so talented. And I'm just like, yep. But you know, if you if you look up the history of zeal and ardor, you'll see. They they couldn't be any further from you know anti neo Nazi and Nazi you know it's right. it's just not a band I think someone who is really you know severe right wing would find that interesting. So uh, yeah, I remember what I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask. So they they decided to then take that out of the documentary. Yeah, in they, the they, end? they they took that clip out. Okay, okay. I didn't know that because I watched the documentary like I don't know a week. Or a couple of days after it was released, right? Originally, yeah. What, what, uh, once someone pointed that out, they said that was clearly not our intention of putting it in there. It was just an establishing shot. Uh, we're, sure, it's it's out. We're taking that out. Good, good. And also is the fact that uh, you know the paranormal field, you know, is it is a muddy field. You know, there's a lot of controversial stuff uh, interceded here and there with good stuff, legitimate stuff that should be uh, promoted. You know, like, uh, and and it's sometimes it's very difficult to navigate these waters, and that's why then uh, the opinions of your peers can be helpful. And I think that some people pointed out that maybe one of the things that uh, Kellier and and this new documentary, The Unbinding, lacked was like trying to. Uh, see the opinions of other people who might have been able to alert them about, you know, this uh, connection with far-right ideology in the case of, uh, you know, this Ukrainian community in the Catskills. Yeah. And I don't know if it was even the whole community as much as one church right. that they, they put a shot up of. Right. Rombira, I, I guess it's the name of the this uh, faith or religion or or something that is present there in that place. So so they during, when they do this uh, when they when they're sort of researching this object they try to use the uh, Estes method to right. to determine more information about what are your thoughts on the Estes method? It's interesting. Uh, obviously, uh, it's very subjective. It's uh, I guess if you are skeptical about the whole thing about I mean, uh, psychic phenomena and the like, and also, you know, communication with uh, discarnate entities, you know, you will think that is just a lot of poppycock. But I think that uh, it's, it's uh, like, like I said, a new way in which uh, paranormal investigations are now conducted in the, in the 21st century. You know, you're using uh, tried old method of, you know, mediumship, but you're giving it a new spin yeah. with this technology, you know, and obviously the the risk you 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 could fall into is to give it too much weight. Right. You know, and, and into thinking that the answers you are receiving are uh you know one hundred percent accurate. Right, right. I mean I've had too many people who I trust their judgment tell me that they tried the SDs method and it did actually get them interesting results. Where I'm before when I saw this stuff, you know, and it's just scanning radio frequencies, and I'm like, I don't know that this is really doing anything. I mean, chances are you're going to get something somewhat relative, relevant. 
uh, just coincidentally here and there. Uh, and you can always make right. more out of it or, you know, use pareidolia to be like, oh, I think they said this when, and because you're looking for it. But with the Estes method, right. for anyone who doesn't know what it is, it's, it's you're basically blindfolded and you have, you can't see what's going on. You can't hear the questions that are being asked. So you just have mm -hmm. headphones on with what's with the radio uh, being scanned. And the thing that strikes me about the Estes method is that could put you in a slight trance. You have no ocular sure. input and you're only hearing this, this radio just going through, cycling through channels in a pattern. So it might be that you're not actually hearing the radio. You're actually picking up on something else. And it seems like that's what was happening when they were doing it. Because I, I think Dana was the one doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And she said that uh, she was hearing two distinct voices. Right. So, so that, I mean, that's interesting. I've never tried it. But like I said, I've initially was like, yeah, I don't think much of the Estes method, but it's interesting. Like like on the on Hellier, who was the one that got the tin can? Who was I doing? I think it was Carl. I think it was Carl. Okay. And so and also interesting that in Hellier, they employ the Estes method with more than one conduit, if you will, or medium. You know, like was Dana, but also was Carl. Uh, I think it was another person. I, I don't remember. But here it was just solely Dana, like the one yeah. like using it to get the answers. Um, but the whole tin can thing, I mean, he just got a vision of a tin can. And we can go and we don't have right. to go into the whole um, time loop thing there. But the point is that had nothing to do with that to me seems like he was being put in a slightly altered state by listening to this stuff and, and got a vision of something. And so I wonder if that was the same thing happening to Dana when she's uh, using the Estes method to, you know, divine more about this, this crone effigy. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I said, I mean, it was interesting. I, I, I personally in this documentary found more interesting their attempts to uh, 3D scan the the object. Yes. And apparently they, they, they had a lot of problem with it, which in itself, you know, is it's rather interesting. You have apparently uh, the nails in the effigy weren't able to be picked up by the scanner, which is something like, uh, how does that happen? I mean, this mm -hmm. is a, obviously material objects that should, you know, be picked up by this uh, 3D scanner, you know, like any other thing that is like protruding from a surface. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Come on. Like, uh, and, 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 and that is something that in itself was uh, rather interesting. Yeah. And they had other issues with it as well that, that were, yeah. you know, um, and if this thing did have a lot of energy into it, that definitely could cause, you know, problems when you're trying to scan it. Um, so what it reminded me of, and I never, he never sent me the videos, unfortunately, uh, Jeff Ritzman, uh, was playing around with 3d scanning of environments. And when he was in the one, uh, haunted house in Gettysburg, they did a bunch of shows from, he was scanning the house and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like he was scanning a room and it was saying there was a door somewhere that there wasn't a door. So the scanner right. was coming up with a doorway, but there was no doorway there. Right. And it's the same type of thing. Like that shouldn't happen. It's bouncing waves off of the walls. Right. Right. Just like this thing's bouncing waves off of this effigy and these nails and these nails should be showing up, but for some reason they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Which also raises the question that why are you trying to replicate this object in the first place? Well, didn't they say they wanted to keep a, 
like a copy of it to put in their museum so people could see it? Right. But then what I was thinking uh, to myself when I was watching the documentary is, uh, what if could a replicated object also curse someone who is holding it if the person believes in the object or doesn't know the difference between, you know, the real object and mm. the simulation? So like you know a, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're 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 potentially putting that that cursed energy into another object, right? Because the energy you one could argue doesn't really come from the object, quote unquote, comes from the person believing that the object is cursed. Yeah. Well, so I mean, what they what they come to the conclusion they come to is that there's there's this goddess trapped within this this effigy, right? And, you know, they, they, they said that and they're making a big deal of how they're interacting with a goddess. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then I stopped and went, okay, I've interacted with two things that seem like goddesses. I'm being a complete hypocrite here by dismissing this. Mm. You know, we did a whole show on Hecate and I mean, we had Walter Bosley's, you know, encounters with Hecate and stuff. I mean, granted, none of this was trapped within an object, but like mm -hmm. I, I felt a little hypocritical, like dismissing it because they're saying it's a goddess and then I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what this stuff really is. I don't know what I'm really interacting with, but it definitely puts on the, the framework, the, the, the camouflage of those particular goddesses. So this may be something very similar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like and like I said, if you are in the framework that you are interacting with something greater than yourself, you know, with a god or a goddess, and what are, what are the what does that even mean, right? Right. I mean, what uh, what are you talking about uh, when you're saying that you are talk, you are uh, interacting with some kind of like divine being? Uh, is all that's happening the result? of your belief in that or does it come from the object itself like i remember when i was reading the the invisibles that uh, you know there was one of the characters who is trying to uh interact with the spirit of john lennon and and is visualizing john lennon as some kind of like psych psychedelic god right mm. which is an interesting way like okay you know i'm going to uh, you know think of uh these death musician who obviously was a, 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 a one of the cultural icons of the 20th century as some kind of like new god if i pray to him as a god you know the same way that i don't know there are people in argentina if you believe in if you believe in that that actually thinks of uh diego maradona you know the the, the late uh, uh football player as a god really <laughs> there's a church yeah, there's a there's a church of Maradona in Argentina. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and well, I mean, who can say? You know, you who are you to judge someone's religious beliefs? You know, there are people oh, yeah. who believe yeah. in Santa Muerte. You know, there are people who believe in I don't know in the Jedi's. You know, right? And, oh yeah. And, so there's a, this whole thing about belief and and my own uh, personal belief, quote unquote, is that. All these things come from from the human mind. You know, we we use these elements as uh, as avatars or as vessels in order to pour our imagination and our creativity, and that's where really where the magic comes from. You know. Yes. Yeah. So once again, I I I, I, I question the 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 safety or of of creating this object, recreating this object. Uh, and, and yeah, on the one hand, I understand, okay, 
uh, we want you want to preserve uh, an object that has some kind of like uh, magical connotation you know even from an anthropological point of view uh you know you you will find value in that but at the same time uh, you know shouldn't you also respect the wishes of the people who put it there to begin with like uh for, for example i was uh, i recently finished reading a book which i also wrote an article about for the daily grail is a book written by a mexican uh, well latin american archaeologists who were talking about the experiences they have really interesting experiences they have when they were investigating uh, sites in Mexico, in Argentina, and other countries uh, mm. in Latin America. And, you know, sometimes they encounter, you know, objects like are obviously effigies, you know, so that are supposed to be represent uh, uh, deities, or sometimes they, they, they found uh, uh, human remains, you know, sometimes the, 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 the remains of... Uh, Human sacrifices, because this is something a practice that was uh, 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 practiced yeah. uh, in, in in Mesoamerica, you know, before the arrival of the of the of the Spanish conquistadors. And there were times when the obviously the archaeologists, they, they their main concern is trying to preserve all these uh, artifacts and try to uh, clean them and uh, try to ship them. In order to keep them in some kind of a gallery or a museum exhibit, whatever, because that is what uh, archaeology as a science does. But sometimes uh, these archaeologists found themselves in 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 the uh, situation of feeling that they shouldn't tamper with these uh, remains because they were beginning to be haunted by them. You know, like uh, almost like as if they were getting cursed by it, uh, by removing objects that should remain there, Mm. you know, like be that some kind of effigy, some kind of like a stone idol, or maybe, you know, uh, uh, a a burial site, you know, maybe, you know, uh, human remains. And sometimes they were forced either by the community uh, that live nearby or even by themselves to, to, you know, to, you have to rebury them, you know, or you, you have to do something Otherwise, this uh, you know this ghost is gonna keep bothering you. Uh, uh, so I don't know. So it, it's obvious that with the story of the uh, getting back to the documentary, the story of the crone, you know, the, allegedly the people who found it, you know, one of them was an atheist and said, you know, they said I don't give a I don't give a crap, and then and. Uh, he took the effigy and then his life became a living hell. Uh, and then Greg and Dana found themselves in the situation of, 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 of being in possession of the object and they themselves decided this, they had this course of action to take in order to like uh, retrieve the object, the object to the space of rest and also unbind the spirit traps in the object. But then the idea of still keeping a, 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 a copy of the object is kind of strange. Like uh, I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure if that was a good course of action. Like I, I can understand the pros and cons of it, you know. And and I remain genu- genuinely undecided on on what should what should have been done in the first place. Yeah, I mean the the, the end result is they decide to do a, a unbinding ritual, right, and release the spirit from this thing and. Anything ritual, uh, I mean, I've always had a problem with any kind of ceremonial stuff. I like, I always think it's kind of, uh, yeah. I don't know, cheesy. 
like anything that that well that's big and that's just my own personal thing like when i started looking into magic and stuff i couldn't bring myself to do most of the ceremonial stuff because i just felt silly um sure but that's again my personal view of it so like they they did this big ritual to unbind this thing and uh yeah i mean it it was what it was and did they end up making a 3d model of it yeah okay i, I think re- it was tyler strand who the one who was in charge of oh that's right of, yeah of creating it i should have asked him about that i guess i forgot he was the one that did it mm-hmm. um I wrote something like, I, I wrote down new nails and noose, and I don't know why. Yeah, they put a new nails and noose on the 3D uh, copy of it. Oh, okay. And I, once again, I, I was like, okay, why are you doing that again, you know? <laughs> well, hypothetically, they're not trying to bind anything to it. But, yeah, I mean, it could acquire energy right. after the fact. Yeah. And also, this came from an anonymous Reddit post, which is, again, one of those, like, red flag things. Like, why, why does it have to be an anonymous Reddit post? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a fan of Reddit in the first place, you know, like uh, I, 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 I see. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I know there are a lot of people in the field who uh, visit it regularly. Uh, maybe it's a generational thing. And maybe it's also the anonymity, anonymity you are uh, pointing out. Yeah, well, that's true. You know? Yeah, it's not it's not real strict with you know proving who you are when you're on a forum or something on Reddit. You can just create an account and put whatever you want on it or post stuff anonymously. Yeah, and and that generates a lot of uh, I don't know creepy pasta situations. Yes. Like uh, for example, uh, not too recently, someone on Twitter pointed to a subreddit about some someone who claimed to be a sci- uh, uh, American scientist who had worked in the UFO, you know, retrieval program and discussing uh, the biological yes. uh, implications of uh, the extraterrestrial life they had investigated. You know, yeah, and like, was, uh, and it was very detailed. It was very detailed, but at the same time, you know, someone said, "Well, yeah, I'm a real biologist, and I can tell you why this and this and this is just pure fantasy, right?" Yeah. So. I guess the interesting thing about all these uh, happenings is the ambiguity. And I think that therein lies the real magic. You know, by leaving something ambiguous, you leave space for the human imagination to fill that void. And to me personally, that is where the magic the magic comes from. It's the same thing with like crop circles, right? Like my own personal opinion about crop circles is that they are... 99%, I will almost say 100%, but I will, you know, play it safe. And I really don't know for sure, but like, I will say that crop circles are the majority of them, they are man made. Yes. But the fact that the artists who make the crop circles, they do so in such a, in such an, inconspicuous manner, you know, in the, in the middle of the night, uh, in secrecy, very, you know, try to do it almost furtively also because they are trespassing and they are kind of breaking the law, yep. you know, by, by doing something in a field that doesn't belong to them. But by doing that in such, such conditions, they open up this conduit in which the true believers who think that they are actually, you know, created by, I don't know, either UFOs or by, I don't know, the elves or whatever, you will say, well, that's a hoax. But at the end of the day, in in my 
current opinion now that I'm, you know, so late in my life, you know, 50 years old and all, I feel that hoaxes have a role to play into all of this. And maybe the unbinding, maybe the crown began as a hoax, not by the nukers, but by the some the, the one who posted that subreddit in the first place. Right. But then, you know, generated all this stuff that was experienced by the new Kirks, you know, you know, this, the 3D scans and, and the thing they, they allegedly uh, tracked in that camera with the, 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 the statue kind of like move. Right. And all that, on all that thing, you know, like, so once again, where does the magic come from? And with crop circles, I mean, a lot of the crop circle makers have had weird experiences making crop circles. So there's that as exactly. well. But prior yeah. to the whole crop circle thing, like when, when what is it was like Bob and Dave were the two guys that came up and said, oh, we made all of them, which simply wasn't possible. Um, yeah. When they were asked, well, where did you come up with the idea? They were like, oh, well, in Australia, where we came from, we would have these saucer nests, which are also basically unexplained crop circles. Exactly. And that just kind of got glossed over, plus the fact that they couldn't be in all those places in one night when you had them popping up all over England overnight. Yeah, um, and they assume, oh, well, you know, we have uh, copycats or people yeah. who want to get into joining the fun. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> so you can, you can watch The Unbinding, I think, on Netflix. Not Netflix, Amazon Prime. Um, I don't know where else it's available, but it is in their own, they have their own website. I think that's how I watched it. Is it free on their website? I know all of Hellier's free. No, not at the moment. I wouldn't be surprised if like, uh, you know, in six months or so, they actually released it freely on YouTube. IMDB says it's $3.99 on Prime, so it's not exactly an expensive rental. Um, So yeah, so the other other thing we're going to talk about tonight is uh, No One Will Save You. Yes. And this is a beautifully done movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Highly, highly recommend this. I I will let you just kind of go into this. Oh, my God. Okay, so let me see if I remember what I just wrote. Uh, Okay, so first of all, I guess the... Uh, I I started to listen to people praising the movie on social media, which really piqued my interest. And then I noticed that I was able to watch it. Um, um, someone borrowed borrowed me their their uh, Disney Star account, and there it was there. You were in Mexico internationally, right? So I watched it, and I was like blown away. Like, okay, this is not your typical, like, alien invasion movie by any stretch. Uh, First of all, like we pointed out at the beginning, the movie is almost devoid of any dialogue, which in itself is really interesting, you know. Well, I uh, I, I don't think it has any actual dialogue. There's a few words spoken, but there's no actual dialogue, conversation, or anything like that. Yeah, right. There are no conversations, but they, they do say a few words here and there, like, oh, come on, or something like that. Oh. Yeah. And uh, and it, it in the movie, it works really well because it makes the movie more, I don't know, intimate. And I really feel it more. it's more real because most of uh, the stories is surrounding one single character, which is uh, uh, Breen, you know, a young girl living all alone in this uh, little town almost like a, some kind of like an outcast you know and, and in the movie you learn how why she became an outcast uh, 
And then all this uh, activity starts transpiring around her, which obviously uh, someone will see the movie and say, well, yeah, it's an alien invading, aliens invading uh, Earth. But I, on the other hand, I prefer to see the movie as an example of, I don't know, some type of paranormal intrusion. I can see that. You know, I mean, like, uh, there's so many things that are go against the grain of your typical Hollywood alien invasion movie. Definitely. You know, like, uh, the whole, yeah, the whole thing started, I, I, I think, with the movie Independence, Independence Day that was released, I want to say 1996. Something but like I'm not that, sure. Yeah. Something to that effect, you know. And that's the one that really got the ball rolling, especially because by now, by then, uh, Hollywood had a whole uh, sort of uh, tricks in their toolbox, like CGI, mm-hmm. that really allowed you to, you know, create realistic looking like uh, uh spaceships right, you know, right. floating in the sky like another movie that is really done with a low budget but it's really effective is in a uh, district nine yes. you know by looking which, which is also a really good movie not, not necessarily alien invasion but it's well alien intrusion into earthly affairs and how it really you know affects society and definitely you know, a better having, movie Definitely a better movie than Independence Day. Yeah, for sure. Although, let's be honest, you know, I mean, the first time I saw Independence Day, even I, a Mexican, was kind of like you know, jumping up and down and clapping when today we celebrate our independence. Like, yeah, yay, Americans are going to save us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun movie to watch. You know, it's really, it's, it's kind of shallow in 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 message and and, yeah. and story. Although although Independence Day has the merit of being the first, uh, like mainstream uh, movie or or media that uh, refer to Area Fifty One. Oh really? Okay. Oh yeah, like is the one that really brought Area Fifty One to the masses. You know, huh. and. It's obviously dubious connection with UFO and, you know, the uh, analysis or a study of recovered alien artifacts. You know, that whole thing, you know, before that, only really, you know, people who were deep down into the conspiracy thinking and watching, you know, obscure uh, bulletin boards in on, on the net about Bob Lazar right. were aware of everything. But before that, you know, I don't think the average, the, the average moviegoer really knew what the Area 51 was about, was all about. You, you, you make a great point in your article too that they, the people who made uh, No One Will Save You, they have, uh, they used like fairly um, accurate descriptions of real aliens or real uh, what we what people consider real aliens in a sense, not just the Greys but some of the other ones as well. Right, exactly, like. Uh, you have your small goblin-like entities, which, you know, immediately, I don't not only thought about Hellier, which uh, deals about uh, the, these famous uh, close encounter case from the 1950s, you know, the famous Hopskin Bill goblins. Uh, goblins of Kansas. Uh, but the, the, the movie also portrays, uh, and this is really, it was interesting to me, 
the the entities that look like big mantids or manta rays, uh, yeah. you know, praying mantis. Yep. Uh, and this is not something you see often in in in, in not only in mainstream movies, but even in UFO literature, you know, like gray aliens are a dime a dozen, but, you know, books that actually refer to the, the mantids are kind of like not that common, I feel. I would agree. I mean, whoever did this certainly did their research, and they added in also yes. like consciousness stuff as well when she ends up in like altered states of consciousness from them and stuff. Right, right. It's definitely like uh, Josh Gutchin would would probably point out that uh, this movie lacks the truism that alien beings will communicate to human beings you know, through their minds, um, you know, in order to say, you know, do not be afraid, you know, we won't harm you. That's the typical trope in, mm -hmm. the, in the alien abduction scenario that became popular through books like Whitley Strieber's Communion, Bud Hopkins' Intruders, right. uh, David Jacobs, and so on and so forth. Here, these aliens are psychic, like they are able to produce telekinesis which in the movie looks a lot like poltergeist phenomena yeah which i really liked you mm -hmm. know because not only it jumps back to like the movie uh close encounters of the third kind you know there's a, that famous scene in which the aliens take the, the little boy away and 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 you see the ma the mother totally distraught by the the refrigerator uh, door opening and closing and, and all the items in, in inside you know falling to the floor and all these uh, the toys and electric appliances turning on and almost almost like coming to life the same thing happens here in this movie and obviously also in Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of commonality there. In fact, there's I I feel and I and I, and I pointed that out in my article that this movie plays a heavy homage to 1970s uh, movies, right? In in the style, in the palette of colors, in right. the home of Breen, you know, the little, even, even the kind of like, uh, the fashion she wears, you know, she, she prefers to wear these, uh, like summer dresses, whereas yeah. I don't know. I will assume that uh, girls her age in 2023 will prefer wearing like I don't know t-shirts and and you know like uh, tights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't say I I, I uh, agreed with her style choices. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it actually makes you wonder at first when this movie is taking place. Yeah, exactly. At first I thought, okay, maybe this is from the 1970s or the 1980s, but then there are elements which uh, kind of like anchors it in modern times. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's you know? nothing with her that anchors it in modern times, I think, if I remember right. Like, she doesn't have a cell phone or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Because doesn't she just have, like, a landline or something? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even remember seeing a computer yeah. inside her home. It wasn't until Although, she goes into the town that it's obvious that we're not dealing with something back pre-internet. Exactly, yes. Yes, yeah, in the town when you, you, you really see... Uh, 
or maybe even in in in, in her car, you know, oh, which yeah, is yeah. not that modern, but also not that uh, antique. Yeah, you know, say, well, this is at least from the two thousands. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it kind of starts off a little slow, and then it's just like nonstop, like adrenaline rush to the end. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, uh, uh, I guess in the first fifteen minutes is when you start really see the the the, the action going nonstop. Yeah. Um. Well, we we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Quick mid show break here. Uh, contact info. Everything can be found at wheretheroadgo.com. And if you have a weird experience or a weird story you want to share, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com is the email to use. All right. Um, if you want to become a patron, it's only $3 a month. You get extra stuff every, pretty much every week, sometimes more than once a week. Uh, all kinds of cool things and a large archive of cool things. And like I said, it's only 3 bucks a month, and it uh, helps us out a lot. All right. Recommendation for this week. Michael Marshall has a book called Bad Things. You will hear a little more about this in a future episode. Um, not so much about the book itself, but something, a quote from the book. Let's just say that. Um, anyway, Michael Marshall Smith, which is his other one of his other writing names. You have Michael Marshall and Michael Marshall Smith, as well as uh, hmm, Michael, uh, something Rutger. Michael Rutger? Maybe it's Michael Rutger. I can't remember now. But, um, yeah, this was a book from, I believe, 2009, and it is dark and intense, and it has echoes of the fae in there. There's a little bit of witchcraft. There's a little bit of uh, bad things. That's what it's called, and it's very aptly named. The way, the, Michael's pretty much my favorite author at this point. The way he writes is just fantastic. He can uh, do dark, really, really dark, uh, as well as still keeping a little bit of humor mixed into it here and there. So um, I don't really want to say much about it because it will ruin the book. If you like horror with some paranormal, supernatural type of stuff mixed in, uh, from somebody who very clearly has, a, has his finger on the pulse of how this stuff really kind of works in some ways, uh, check out Bad Things. And that one's under Michael Marshall, as I said. Uh, I have yet to read anything bad from him. So um, I, can, I can quickly read you the back. Uh, a bad thing occurred three years ago. A little boy died for no discernible reason. Shattering lawyer John Henderson's world. Today he's a different man, living a solitary, simple existence in an Oregon beach house. Until the night he receives a short email from a stranger, I know what happened. With just four words, Henderson is pulled back to Black Ridge, Washington, the one place he'd hoped to never see again. It seems that bad things have always happened in this small town of generations-old secrets, and the shadows here seem even darker now than when the tragedy first drove John Henderson away. The deeper he digs for answers, the more danger he draws toward himself and his estranged, helpless family. And he's not the only one who's been called home. And that's a very bad thing. I would say if you like Stephen King, Stephen King is kind of like the junk food edition of Michael Marshall Smith. Um, this is the stuff that's a little more in-depth, a little less, uh, I don't know. I don't know what, I mean, I like some Stephen King stuff. I'm not trying to insult Stephen, Stephen King by any means. 
Uh, but I think Michael Marshall Smith is on another level. And uh, But it, it has a similar feel at times. It's very good character development. Uh, but his stories are way more creative. So check it out. That's my recommendation for you for this week. Bad things. Now back to the show. I'm here with Red Pill Junkie returning after, I, I don't know, the last time you were on. It was clearly too long since people were complaining. And we're, <laughs> and we're talking about uh, no one will save you. And uh, in the in the article mm-hmm. you wrote on the Daily Grail, you uh, you sh- you show that they used a lot of imagery in this that was more religious than than say sci-fi. I feel that yes, it is more religious than uh, uh, or paranormal than your regular sci-fi alien invasion. You know, from the portrayal of the aliens themselves, who look almost like uh, ghouls. You know the they look like uh, very emaciated. You can see their 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 uh, rib cage. Yeah. And, and 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 obviously they are also stark naked. You know, this is something that I know for some reason in in, in popular imagination you assume that uh, aliens are so <laughs> shameless and proud of their bodies they don't have to wear any kind of like garments. <laughs> <laughs> Or even a spacesuit, like in Mars Attacks. Right. Uh, but also, they don't have any type of. Uh, well, aside from that, I remember how interesting it was when uh, they don't communicate verbally, but they utter these like bellows. Yeah. You know, they're very, 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 very thunderous, very, very loud. And it was like, oh, this is almost like I don't know, like an angel in in the Book of Revelation, in like. Uh, you, sounding his trumpet you know which really uh, underscore for me the scathological undertones of the movie because this is a this is a movie uh about i think it, it is a movie about confronting your demons it's a, it's a movie well the, the title itself, No One Will Save You, it's about salvation, but about, I feel it's more about spiritual salvation than yeah. physical one. You know, uh, uh, like you said, there, there there are elements of uh, in which the girl is confronted with some kind of like virtual reality scenario in which like the aliens or the entities are probing her memories. Right. And they seem to be really, really interested with a particular set of memories with regards to a young girl that uh, seems to have been uh, the protagonist's best friend, that they were almost like sisters. Yep. And 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 that's when uh, I kind of like related this character, Breen, with this painting that I found online, uh, the, the, that is from the Renaissance, early Renaissance, you know, I, I think it's from from Flemish Flemish Renaissance uh, background by Peter Bruegel the Elder, that is called uh, Dul Griet, although it's also known as Mathmeg. And it's shown this character, almost like a farcical, uh, pejorative character of this uh, feisty woman that is so feisty and uncontrollable, she's willing to wage war on hell itself. Yeah. You know, and I felt that really was a good representation of this character. You know, this, you, what would you think is the most hopeless character in the in the event of an alien invasion, you know, a, a, a young girl living all alone is the one that manages to beat the aliens. Yeah, you know, using nothing but kitchen appliances and wits <laughs> and 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 just her 
bad temper because the characters also shown to have a, a, a some type of an uncontrollable violence yeah. in, in, in her. That is part of the story. Yeah, and it's and it's amazing how in depth of a story they tell with no dialogue. I mean, that's just this pure credit to the acting and the writing of it. No, no, for sure. I mean, like these guys, the, the, everyone involved in this in this production, uh, really, really do. Not only they did their homework, but they really do their work in in how they're going to tell this story. You know, the pace of it. Yeah. The the parts of it that have to be a little bit. Uh, comic, the parts of it that have to be really, really scary. Although I remember Joshua saying to us privately that he didn't feel the movie was scary enough. Like, okay, I mean, what do you need, man? I mean, <laughs> I, I actually, I actually was relieved that the movie wasn't uh, your typical horror movie from the 2020s that is yeah. so full of uh, gore yep. and blood and, and, and I don't like those kind of movies to it's, be honest. It's more intense than anything else. Exactly, exactly. It's about you know being in an uncontrollable situation and actually manage to you know get the upper hand on it. You know at the last minute. And some of it through sheer luck. Maybe luck, yeah. But at the end. Also, the other thing that I really, really liked about the movie is like the ambiguity of the intentions of, of, of these entities. You really, yeah. really don't know what they are doing in, in the first place. You know, they're invading as they are, you know, just uh, there just to like, uh, like being like predators or are they there for something else, you know, like. I wrote in my, in my article, yeah, well, these, you could say these are demons tormenting the girl, but in the end, these demons are also acting like angels, you know? So, and, and, and this is something that really are fascinates me in my, you know, paranormal studies, you know, what is the difference between an angel and a demon? You know, where do you draw the line and say, well, this entity is evil or this entity is uh you know good yeah well you it's know, all where, perspective where, too exactly what exactly it's, it's all perspective you know it's, it's especially nowadays when when you see in the current uh ufological discussions you know you, you have obviously nowadays the people who are trying to control the narrative are trying to use the argument that the ufo phenomenon is inherently dangerous right either by the fact that uh the powers that be cannot control it you know like they they they, they cannot uh, control when where they invade uh you know sovereign airspace but not only that but apparently interacting with it they keep telling us could be hazardous for your health like you know you get in contact with a ufo uh, from a certain distance, you could, you know, develop a cancer or something. Right, right. Well, especially if it's a uh, UFO made by the government that's using, like, nuclear reactors or something. Exactly. Well, or even if it's some kind of, like, a natural phenomena yeah. that involves a lot of, you know, electromagnetic radi radiation, right? Because electromagnetic radiation could also be, you know, hazardous for your health. And so can certain types of plasmas. For sure. It's just such a muddy picture at this point. But 
it's another picture, you know, and also if you go beyond the idea of being a natural phenomenon and think that there are some kind of like uh, intelligence involved in it, trying to discern the intentions of this intelligence becomes really, really complicated. Like, does the concept of morality, good and evil, apply the way we understand it? Yeah. Or is it something that is becomes totally irrelevant by the scale of the difference between where we stand as, you know, human beings and, you know, the separation or, or, or you know, how different these intelligence or these, you know, these aliens are from us. It's like, I don't know, like you will think of yourself, Soraya, as a good person, you know, someone who wouldn't harm a fellow human being, but maybe you see and an ant nest in your property or a, a, a termites that are starting to crawl into your into your house, into your attic yep, or your yep. basement, you will be, you know, driven to do what most of most people will do, which is to, you know, call an exterminator, you know, and and, and kill this uh, infestation. And yep. obviously you yep. are destroying this precious life forms that one would say has as much right to live as a human being. Sure. Uh, but then, you know, this, all life consumes life, right? Well, that's also true. Life feeds on life. Um, yeah. I mean, if I don't have to kill something, I generally don't. I had a, mm -hmm. I had a, uh, a hornet of some sort in my computer shop, and I had this one customer there. I went, oh, look at that. And I managed to catch it and just tossed it outside. And mm -hmm. he remembered this. And some point later, he goes, you know how I know you're a good person? And I'm like, how? And he's like, that one time you caught a hornet and threw it out instead of just killing it. And I'm like, well, yeah, it didn't need to die. You know, like, it was just as easy to throw it out the door. He's like, yeah, but it was a hornet. Yeah. It wasn't even like a honeybee or anything. It was like a yellow jacket. And I'm like, yeah, it, did, it didn't mean us any harm. Right. Now, with a with an alien intelligence, uh, give us the same, you know, respect. Yeah, who knows? Knows because they may just look at us and be like, "Well, they're not really intelligent," and they're probably right to some degree. For sure. Yeah. I mean, maybe look, they look at the way we kill each other and, and destroy our environment. I mean, an intelligent species, I don't think, would be doing that. Yeah, maybe they regard. Uh, I don't want to get too political here, but maybe they regard, you know. Things like the conflict with, between Israel and Hamas, the same way we see uh, termites killing or battling an, an ant, yeah. ants yeah. that are, you know, invading their nest. Yep. You know? I mean, look, they're not going to get along. They're, they're, they're not smart enough. Exactly. Uh, yeah. The, um, so no, no one can save you. I think it's on Hulu, right? This on Hulu, I, I, in Mexico, I watched it uh, through Star, Star Plus. Okay. So it is being distributed by, I don't know, Disney, Star Plus, uh, international outside the, the United States. Interesting. I think it's a Hulu original, yeah. It is a Hulu original. Uh, uh, it is only 93 minutes long. So it's, uh, you know, little, small uh you know movie that is not really that uh, deep in in terms of story or you know characters like there's only like really one main character and just yeah. uh, you know five or three other main secondary characters you get to see aside from the aliens 
But nonetheless, I was really impressed by it. And when I was watching it, you know, and, and I was driving these conclusions and I was thinking to myself, am I being too uh, subjected to reach these conclusions because of how popular culture regarded M. Night Shyamalan's Science? Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah. I really liked that uh, movie. I really liked that movie too, even though I know how many people hated it because they say well it doesn't make any sense that you know advanced cities will come to a you know a, a world that is you know full of water and they are allergic allergic to water yeah and when people said well the movie is not about that the movie is about faith yes you know the, the loss of faith you know recovering your faith and 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 and, and how that affects your lives and coincidences and all that mm-hmm. and some people said well you know if you think of these reptilian beings not as ets from outer space from but from demons from from hell the movie makes more sense uh i thought well maybe i'm falling into this same logical trap you know but uh nonetheless i feel that if you see this movie not as your typical you know aliens from outer space coming to invade the world but something more like okay this uncontrollable force is coming to test this girl and to really like face her past and her you know life and her memories and and on top of that there's a lot of things that are really part of of real life close encounter cases yeah, the poltergeist we're speaking, the entities themselves, the, the, the way they are they are portrayed, uh, many other things uh, which right now kind of like escape my memory. I will invite you know listeners to this show to just uh, watch it, and, and they probably will 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 see yes many yeah. many that not only escape my, my memory but actually escape my my attention when I first watched the movie. But yeah. I, I really wished uh, more movies like these would be, you know, available. Yeah, and 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 there's the other one that's currently the series that's currently out there that I recommended to people on one of the mid-show breaks uh, is on Apple TV, and it's called Invasion. And oh yeah, I remember you mentioned this. Yeah, yeah the title is terrible because it's so generic. But, I mean, you have an alien invasion movie that makes you question everything that's going on, is very subtle, has consciousness aspects. Um, mm. It is done completely differently than any other alien invasion show has ever ever been done. And it's it's absolutely fascinating. And, I, and they did two seasons. I, have, I really hope they get renewed for a third because they kind of just left it, as they often mm. do. Um, and Apple is actually pretty good at renewing their series. They have, uh, you know, like Netflix cancels everything. Uh, Amazon (laughs) doesn't, doesn't let stuff go very long most of the time, but, uh, of all the stuff I'm watching on Apple, not only is a lot of it very good, but it's, they've been letting it play out. I mean, I think for all mankind's on like season four or five at this point. Um, so there's oh, a good wow. good chance there'll be an, another season of invasion. But it's there's so many subtle aspects to it. Even the beginning of the invasion, it's not like people are thinking their terrorist attacks happen mm. because they're not aware that whatever's happening is coming from the outside. And then you have people having visions. You right. have people with psychic communication with the aliens. You, I mean, it just gets deeper and deeper. And clearly the whoever made the series 
is not going by the standard alien playbook, you know? And it's about about time that we're seeing stuff that's a little bit different. Right. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, why will the aliens feel the need to invade us in the first place right why why could they get from us that they couldn't get uh elsewhere much more easily right i mean resources even like water remember in in the original v series from the 1980s you know the one that uh brought into popularity the concept of the reptilian aliens Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. david ike managed to actually exploit fully <laughs> the alien the aliens came come to the earth for water you know and I say well you know that water is so abundant in our planet that makes sense but it doesn't because they could get all the water they need just from from you know the Cooper Kuiper belt or the Oort cloud where you know comets form right right you, you could get all the water you need from a single asteroid. But I think at the time of V, it was it wasn't known that there was that much water present in the in outer space. Exactly. So, but yeah, I mean, there has to be a reason, you know, and and that's the, that becomes the question with the extraterrestrial hypothesis, especially when you have people saying, "Oh, there's there's seventeen races visiting us. Why? We're not that yeah. interesting. Like, why are there yeah. seventeen races visiting us?" Exactly. What do they need? They need gold? No. I mean, sorry, you know, Sahari Sitchin, but uh, there's plenty of gold out there in in space. Right. Uh, So maybe the only explanation is they come from for us. And what could they get from us that is so special? And that's where, you know, divides the the opinions of people and say, well, maybe they, they feed on negative emotions you know they are like psychic vampires and there are even people like Whitley Strieber and that's this is something that really intrigues me this idea that they are here because they seek novelty and that's something that I could really I could really see you know from from an intellectual point of view like uh, if when you are, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I, I am the uncle of several nephews. And I remember when my nephews were very young and I thought that I was so eager to show them the things I'm really passionate about, like, you know, put them, uh, play for them the, the, the Star Wars movies, mm. you know? And when you do that, you manage to re- rekindle your passion for these things because you are almost like relieving the, through them, almost like you're watching them for the first time once again. Right, right. Right? You, you, you get to re-experience that excitement in a small manner, but you remember how it was like when you first experienced like your first Star Wars movie, your first uh, trip to the, you know, arcade games, your first trip to Disneyland, you know, your first car trip, whatever. <laughs> and maybe it's the same thing with, with, with aliens that you're, they're seeing our struggles and, and they are like remembering what it was like when they were, you know, a young civilization, but also obviously the, the, the bad spin for that is that maybe the aliens are like the equivalent of the creepy old dude who only dates girls that are like 30 or 40 years younger than right. him. Because that's the only feel, the only way that he tra- feels that he can still be young, right? Like maybe they are like the interdimensional equivalent of Hugh Hefner. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Ugh. Well, um, yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I just hope they keep making more unique stuff like this with with aliens in mind rather than going with the very exactly. typical stuff. I mean, because even though No One Will Save You had the grays and stuff like that in it, it was by no means a typical thing. There's too much stuff out there that's just... It's like, oh, we're just going to follow the, the the typical pattern that's been established. We're not going to take yes. any chances on, on new ideas or mixing new things. Again, that's what blew me away about Invasion is I didn't expect anything of it. Uh, I expected <laughs> it to be kind of a typical alien invasion type of movie. And halfway through the first season, I'm like, this is really good. And with fiction, you get to explore those ideas that you can't explore as easily in a uh, in a nonfiction format without being able to support the idea. So it gives it gives free reign to thought experiments, basically. Exactly. And I just know that if one day someone manages to pick up uh, our friend Joshua Cotchen's novel, "Them Always Never Die," and manage to make a movie or a TV show script out of it. That will be, you know, media that will also really blow the minds of, of the audience. Yeah. Because Joshua, like we're saying, you know, is using elements, elements from, from folklore and elements for actual real close encounter cases, cases of high strangeness. And, and he managed to mix them up to create something very unique, uh, but also something that speaks about deep aspects of the human condition, you know, aspects, it talks about family, it talks about uh, regret, it talks about, you know, dissatisfaction, it talks about the problems with with father-son relationships, it talks about, you know, addiction, and mixes it all, mixes it all up and, and, and brings it the high strangeness. And I keep, you know, imagining that, you know, someone like Mike Flanagan, who is really one of the guys who I really feel knows how to make uh, stuff about the paranormal and supernatural really, really interesting in Hollywood. Someone like that guy could create something really, really unique with a script from from Joshua's book. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would have to be a TV series because I don't think it would exactly, be. Exactly, yeah. It, it, the book's too long to make it into a single movie without losing so much of that. I agree completely. You know, like as a, a, a limited series, like six part, eight part would yeah. be perfect. Just perfect. Um, all right. Well, that seems like a good place to end it. Um, so the two move, two things we talked about, for anyone who missed it, were The Unbinding, which is available on Amazon and probably on their website, which I don't know what it is off the top of, of my head, but if you look up Unbinding and um, Greg Newkirk or something like that, I'm sure you'll find it. Uh, and No One Will Save You, which uh, at least in the U.S. is a Hulu original. And you're saying it, it in the rest of the world it's on what? Star Plus. Star Plus. So I recommend both of them. I enjoyed both of them. So I think mm -hmm. with the Unbinding, if you enjoyed Hellier, you'll love the Unbinding. I think even if you didn't like Hellier, because I wasn't really a fan of Hellier, and I still like the Unbinding. So um, <laughs> it's worth it's worth the. It's also you know a much shorter uh, time. You know Hellier was what six parts or something or eight parts, whereas this is just an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. So it's it's much it's mu less of a time commitment, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. so, so Red Pill. Uh, where can people find you? Where can the people find me? They can find me at the Daily Grail, dailygrail.com, where they could find 
articles like the one that I wrote to discuss this movie, No One Will Save You. And they can also find me at my own personal website, absurdbydesign.com. All right. And uh, thank you for doing this with me. Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by our Patreons. And I'm going to give a shout out to all my Patreons right here because you really do help make this possible. And a special shout out to those pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Tim, Midnight Review presents Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain. Patricia Guy Quinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Andrew Malone, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, CJ, Greg Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, J, J Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K., MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Stacy Sherwood, Stevie Norman, Strange Stories with the Seeker and the Skeptic Podcast, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varoche K, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much. All right, it was nice having Miguel back on the show. He'll be back again, hopefully soon. Um, I have put up my Strange Realities talk for Patreons. If you're a Patreon, you can check that out. I put up both the audio and the video version. Uh, you can also get it and all the other talks by uh, signing up now for the Strange Realities conference, even though it's in the past. Uh, you can still get a sort of virtual ticket and go watch all the presentations that were up. So, Or you can just become a patron and watch mine and get all the extra Patreon content uh, that I put up. It's only $3 a month, and uh, you get a lot of stuff. So, All right, um, we're going to take you out with a band called Clockmen. And uh, this is a song called White Whale. comes off a 7-inch they did. And uh, this was a band from Rochester, New York. They played our performance studio for the last exit for The Lost uh, just recently. Probably the last band uh, as of this, uh, as of me recording this. Uh, I think I only got one or two left for the rest of the year. But um, if you want to check out The Last Exit for The Lost, it's www.thelastexit.org. And there's a YouTube channel with all the uh, performances and concerts uh, we've booked over the years and all that stuff, as well as archives of the music show, which is also a weekly show that's six and a half hours long. And I play all kinds of stuff in the heavy music genres that you're probably not going to hear much elsewhere. Uh, I mean, there's obviously some overlap, but uh, I find a lot of obscure and interesting and really good stuff that... Uh, 
yeah, isn't uh, doesn't get the attention it deserves, both new and old. All right, but anyway, this is the Clockman and uh, their song "White Whale." You can find them under Clockman Rock on Facebook. See you next time. been listening to where did the road go this show is made possible in part from our patreons and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange you can always find everything where did the road go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com and thank you so much for your support <laughs>